While cleaning out her grandparents' home, Sherry came across a 1990 newspaper clipping in her grandma's stuff about a missing teenager, Carrie Lynn Norton, written by Lane Willard. The Clovis Police Department is seeking information on a missing 19-year-old New York girl who may have been sighted in Clovis. Carrie Lynn Nixon has been missing for more than two years. She was last seen walking home from the grocery store in Osable Forks, New York, at 9.30 p.m. on June 22, 1987, carrying a bag of groceries. The New York State Police notified the Clovis Police Department that it had received a lead as a result of a television presentation of the investigation by Unsolved Mysteries. The television program reported a call saying that the girl may have been seen at North Plains Mall in Clovis. The description is of a girl who looks about 15 to 16 years old, has long reddish brown hair, was about 5'3 tall, with two earrings in her left ear, four earrings in her right ear, and one turquoise ring on her left hand. Carrie, who was born May 2, 1971, is described as 5'3", 106 pounds, with shoulder-length brown hair and blue eyes. This sparked her curiosity on this case that uncovered a deeply disturbing and sad abduction and murder of a beautiful 19-year-old girl, a new Kids on the Block connection, two Unsolved Mysteries episodes, and once again, proof that evil lives everywhere, even small, close-knit communities where doors are not locked and kids play after dark. This is a case of Carrie Lynn Nixon, and this is Outline of a Murder. Okay, it is time for our third mini-series right. of Outline of a Murder. Woot woot! Woo! Super excited. Very excited. Everyone's raising their arms, so. What's wrong with yours? You can't raise your arms? Oh, what was that? <laughs> like a bird. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway. My name is Sherry. Look like you're asking for help. At first, you're like, I'm giving this no effort. And then it went up to more We have help. our special guest, Big Bird, here with us today. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right. Go ahead and hit us off with introductions. Hello. <laughs> I am Elena. I'm Mom. And I am Sherry. This is Outline of a Murder. We are going to do local cases. Don't, don't, don't. Yes. And well, and local, but also regional, because there's some that's not like exactly in our areas. There's also one that is not even in our area. It's the first one, but it has a local connection, okay. which I'm going to tell you guys about. <laughs> and we're having local drinks. Correct. Right. Yes. So with us being dominant Texas, California, New Mexico people, um, we're starting off with Texas tea. Now, Texas is famous for their tea. So, this brand is Sugarland Sweet Tea. So, there's a drink called Texas tea that has alcohol in it. <laughs> Always mom taking us uh, back to the alcohol. Uh, <laughs> mm. Puppy didn't cheers. Mm. Oh, cheers. Cheers. Wow. Delicious. That is good. Oh, I love Texas tea. I don't drink sweet tea, but that is good. That is and good. it is sweet. <laughs> So what if you got a sweet tooth, oh, uh, Sugarland, Sugar Texas tea. Like Sugarland. I, just said, I oh, literally yeah. they make yeah. it in Sugarland. I didn't hear Sugarland. <laughs> we said it again. I just heard we Texas said it tea. Again. And you're like, sweet tea. I could, I could see you were reading it. 
Like what? Where's it from? Uh, Sugarland Sweet yeah. Tea. Mm-hmm. Okay. We say where, it. I know where Sugarland is. And then, oh, Sugarland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all right, Mom. It's cute. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. All right. Okay, so this case. Mm. Isn't it delicious? Yeah, that is delicious. And I mm. bet in my part of the country, New Mexico, probably has it. You think? Mm-hmm. At least close to the Texas border, they'd have it. Yeah. If not, we need to pile you up with Oh, some. that's delicious. Okay. And let me just say, mm-hmm. the Texas shape with the Texas state mm-hmm. logo. Mm-hmm. Giving shout outs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Imperial Sugar Made is what... Texas the- water... Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Mm. All right. Well, good to know. Yes. It wasn't imported. Right. <laughs> it's not imported from, I don't know, Canada or Mexico or something. That's strange. All right. So this um, case is of Carrie Lynn Nixon up in uh, New York, mm-hmm. which it could kind of be local in a way because my father-in-law is from uh, Rochester. Right. But what happened is, um, you know, dad passed away in July and I was going through, uh, all of the belongings because, you know, he had uh, grandma and grandpa's stuff, uh, as well. And he actually had very little. Um, but I found a treasure trove of grandma's stuff in the buffet. So, you know, in the kitchen, when you walk in and right yeah. next to the door, and I was shocked because I found this um, newspaper article from March 4th, 1990. And it says, police seek information on missing New York teenager. And um, it says the uh, Clovis Police Department is seeking information on a missing 19-year-old New York girl who may have been sighted in Clovis. So my grandparents live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Lynn Nixon has been missing for more than two years. She was last seen walking home from a country store in Osable Forks, uh, New York, at 9.30 p.m. on June 22, 1987, Mm -hmm. carrying a bag of groceries. The New York State Police notified the Clovis Clovis Police Department that it had received a lead as a result of the television presentation of the investigation by Unsolved Mysteries. How many watched that? Yeah. Right here. Yep. Is that still on? Mm -hmm. Uh, They tried to redo it. It didn't really take off well, so I don't know if they've continued. Okay. Uh, The television program reported a call saying that the girl may have been seen at the North Plains Mall in Clovis. The description is of a girl who looked about 15 to 16 years old, had long reddish brown hair, about 5'3 tall, with two earrings in her left ear, four earrings in her right ear, and one turquoise ring on her left hand. Carrie, who was born May 2nd, 1971, is described as 5'3", 106 pounds, with shoulder-length brown hair and blue eyes. If anyone has any information on Carrie Lynn Nixon or what may have happened, call uh, Lieutenant Raymond Mondragon. Did they have cameras there? Yeah, she's a little one. I don't... uh, Because if they had cameras there, do they know for sure it was her in Clovis? Well, we're going to get to that. Oh, okay. But this this is the the newspaper article that I found, um, and y'all could see her picture there. I've got another one of her as well. Um, but I thought it was interesting that my grandmother kept that. Uh, I don't think that she was really into true crime. I mean, we would watch Matlock and yeah. Murder, She Wrote, and, you know, those. But me and Dad were the true crime people. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I thought it was interesting and when we get into uh, who did it, 
it may have been after they were already passed away, or at least grandmother was. So anyway, they did find the killer. But to answer your question, no, she was not ever in Clovis. But there were a lot of sightings of her all over the place, including a twist, which we'll get to. It's very interesting. Maybe she kept it because it was said Clovis. You know what I mean? Maybe. But, you know, it's like, okay, was she there? And... Um, maybe she kept the picture too in case she saw her, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I don't think she knew that they caught the killer and that they found her. So she may have kept it for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a, immediately intrigued, of course. Um, and I was very happy that the killer has definitely been caught. So we'll, we'll have uh, that at the end. Uh, and then, um, like, it was hard to get a lot of information on this case at first. So it's going to be a short and sweet one. But um, I did find some more information on this on Unsolved Mysteries. I watched that segment. And then they had an updated episode later. And then also, uh, if anyone wants to watch ne- Nightmare Next Door, Small Town Secrets, um, I got a lot of information from that episode because it was. It was really hard to find uh, any data because it's like when you go back so far, they don't have a lot of that stuff. Um, I'm about to start getting into like FOIA requests and things like that to try to find more information on cases. Um, what kind of what you say? FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. Oh, so you yeah. can use those to get you know like some police records and things so that you can really look into the case and the FBI sites. Mm-hmm, but they didn't have they it on had, the FBI because well, it's didn't. solved. Yeah, they didn't have any information there. Uh, And I ran into that again on uh, the bonus episode with this series, uh, Lunch with a Killer, in which I interviewed a Mm -hmm. local uh, friend who had uh, lunch with a killer, didn't know it, but uh, the red flags, et cetera, all of it was spot on to what we do in our seasons. And that's, you know, you got to pay attention to the red flags. You got to be smart. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find much on the case at all. Um, I could only find some court records on an appeal. So I was able to get enough to, but the main thing was he said, you know, when he was describing everything, it's like my gut just told me something was wrong and things weren't adding up. But he also shares how naive he was and how it could have ended up really bad. So it's a neat uh, episode. Uh, Just a a quick warning. If you listen to the bonus, we don't go into gruesome detail, but a four-year-old is a victim. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just so people know. Okay, so the victim in this case, though, uh, Carrie Lynn Nixon, uh, she was a 16-year-old junior. She lived in, uh, it's actually called Osable, not Osable, Osable Forks, New York. This uh, little village is in the uh, New York Adirondack Adirondack Mountains. Its population is like 3,000 people, you know. So just, yeah, just picture a very small town, hardworking people. It's in the 80s, you know, um, just like you wouldn't think that would happen there. You know, it's like you send your daughter out on an errand or your son and you don't think, especially back in that day. No, you didn't. I mean, we lived in Odessa, Texas, and I rode my bike everywhere. And we left our doors open, too. And Odessa was rowdy. Like, we, there were, there was definitely crime. We had a serial killer, um, Otis, Mm -hmm. Otis Tool. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, him and his uh, gay lover. Cousin. Wasn't it his cousin? They were lovers, so. but... Um, what was his name? He's a poop bird. Anyway, they killed a prostitute, and her body was actually found down the street. You know, so we didn't live in the best part of town, but I rode my bike everywhere, and I had to be in by dark. You know, so mm-hmm. imagine Odessa, Texas, hard-nosed oil town, lots of, you know, guns, drinking, all that stuff, mm-hmm. and it was no big deal. And then I did have perimeters, though, but like any kid, I pushed the boundaries and went past them. Uh, But, you know, in this environment, you know, it's like you said, you didn't lock your doors. Mm -hmm. Everybody felt safe. And um, and I just cannot imagine what the parents felt. Um, So violent crime was very uh, rare there. It was 1987. And, you know, like uh, we lived in uh, Childress. I lived in Childress. And it was like a population of between five and 6,000. We didn't lock our doors ever. And it wasn't until, I think, about five years ago that my grandma started locking her doors before mm. she passed away. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like five years ago? And I'm like, my doors are always locked. And when I, and, he, and by the way, this was on the Facebook because I post, like, tips and stuff. Um, when you get in your car, and I, uh, a lady shared it on her Facebook page. It was so good. Most people, when they get in their car, they'll grab their phones, and they sit there, and she said, door. you need to lock your door, and with 90 seconds, within 90 seconds, you need to be moving. Don't mm-hmm. get on your you know, social media or text or anything like that. I lock it the minute I get in my car. Mm, I do, too. And so, anyway, it, times are definitely different. Uh, she was um, kind of quiet, and but friendly, and the whole community was quaint. It was a family-oriented community. Um, she was friendly. She was family-oriented, too. Um, her sister, Lori, said that she was friends with, uh, everyone. She was really kind and that she idolized her, you know, her bigger sister. Uh, so Lori was two years younger and she was a tomboy. Carrie Lynn was a girly girl. Oh, so just the two yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she liked her hair done and yeah, you you all that. Tell. Mm-hmm, her earrings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've got another, um, picture of her, which I think is closer To what she looked like when she went missing. So there she is. But she's sweet, huh? She has a really sweet face. You could tell. And she was 15, you said? 16? Um, 16. Yeah, she was a junior. And uh, she was super excited because, well, she, I mean, good grades in school. Uh, She was a pitcher on her high school softball team. She loved singing. Uh, She was an aspiring writer. Um, she, she also had a little brother, John, so she would, you know, she's an older sister. She'll take care of her little sister and her little brother. Um, she wanted to work with children when she grew up. So she was about to start her first job as a camp counselor. Cause you know, you have to be a certain age yeah. before yeah, you can be a camp counselor. Yeah. And she had just gotten her driving permit and she was super, super oh, excited about just driving. Just the beginning of everything. Mm. And I remember Sad. that age. I remember oh, all of that. It was exciting. Yeah. I wanted to get a job, but Dad said I didn't need one. <laughs> what? He just hand me money. I'm like, but it was fun to work. A job, yeah. You know. So I finally got one my senior year. But now, um, on the evening of June twenty second, which you know, if you're up north, a lot of times the evenings can be cool. Yes. Up there, where like here, you know, it's like you sweat if you step outside. Yeah. But yeah. Up north it's definitely cooler in the evening well this this day it was it was colder than normal and that will be important in a second 
Carrie's dad, Gary, he wanted some soda and chips. Oh. So he asked Carrie to run down to the local store. It was just a few blocks away. It was called Thomas's Country Store. And she didn't want to because uh, it was kind of cold, you know, and she didn't want to go um, walk in. And she asked Lori to go with her, but Lori was like, no. I, she had played hard that day, and she was super mm-hmm. tired. So she left a little before 930 to get the sta- snacks for her dad. And then her parents fell asleep on uh, on the couch. And... Her mother, Kathy, woke up and went to bed not long after Carrie left. Um, and then she woke up the next morning at 6 a.m. And she went into Carrie's room to wake her up because I guess she had like a safety class that she had to get to that morning. And uh, and her mom, you know, knew that she would not want to be late. So she was going right. to wake her up early. And she wasn't there. And the bed was rumpled. So she thought she was already up because she was super excited about her class. And so she went searching around the house, um, trying to find her, and she couldn't. So she called her mom, Carrie's grandmother, who lived right across the street. Carrie was there a lot, visiting with her. And so she thought, well, maybe she went over there. Um, She wasn't. So now Kathy's getting scared because she's like, where, you know, where is Carrie? It doesn't make any sense. Sneaking out wouldn't be an option because she sounds real. She was a real good kid. Um, responsible. Responsible, yep. Very kind. So I don't think she had that in her. Now, me, on the other hand, if my parents woke up and didn't see me, I was probably, you know, oh. snuck out. Oh, not me. Bad things. Not oh, me. Oh, yeah. Nope. I did that almost every night <laughs> oh, for a never. while. I did once or twice myself. Never. And I'm not sure... It was kind of confusing because, again, I didn't have a lot of details. I'm not sure if her dad, Gary, woke up or if the mom went and woke Gary up. Um, But he was told, you know, Carrie's missing. And he said that he woke up at 1 a.m. on the couch wondering where his snacks were. (laughs) And he went to the kitchen and he didn't see them. So he thought that Carrie probably put them up when she got back and saw that he was asleep. So he didn't think anything of that that either um and then he went to carrie's room and he swore he saw her in there and even patted her leg okay oh but the fact is the fact is she was never back unless it was like a mind situation where he was still really groggy and that was just you know his mind maybe not playing tricks on him but well and if you think about you know, like teenagers oh, with their beds. Yeah. Maybe um, the, the blankets something. were rumpled yeah. or she had a pillow under there or something. And then, you know, he's just patting her because it's dark. Yeah. Like you said, he's mm-hmm. groggy. When I first read that, I was all, mm-hmm. did the dad do it? You know what I mean? Like right. instantly. But then I'm like, no, they seem like a really neat family. It doesn't seem like that's anything that he would have done. But obviously my antennas were kind of up. But that, see, that's the kind of stuff that, I'm like, okay, so if you if you take some of the cases we have looked at or even some of the cases I've watched where they're like, that person did it. Right. On as little as that. Yep. Like, or behavior, why did you lie? Not crying you know, why did you say you pat yeah. her on the leg? Yeah. You know, or whatever. I mean, that's stuff that has gotten people put in prison mm-hmm. that did not do it. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it, it's scary how little, like, uh, I, we might investigate the Beatrice Six case, and it's kind of like the Memphis Three, where one person says that she did it, and mm-hmm. then the blood didn't match. So now they're just grabbing all these people 
Uh, and then finally they got released. Uh, the six people that were wrongly convicted because a cop got myopic vision on this, yep. these, these six people, they had to have done it. He was obsessed and sure enough, DNA got their original suspect. Wow. Yeah. So I'm surprised they didn't go after the dad. There's right. not a rule on how that. you're supposed to act. To well, me, I'm I like, mean, well, I, I agree for sure, because you hear that all the time. Yeah. Well, they what, didn't act normal. I watched a show the other day and immediately thought the son did it, and so did the police, because he was. He said um, his mom was murdered, and she had some money, and he said, "Was she in one piece?" You know. That's a it, weird statement. It is, and they they zoomed in on him, but he was in class. It showed, but had he not been, like, why would you trouble. ask? Is she in one piece? Well, his friend said later, I just saw it, uh, that he was a little odd how he spoke and said things. But still, if he wouldn't have been in class, he'd probably be in jail. Yeah. 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 For sure. And I think that, like for me, obviously I'm not a detective, but I would think, okay, I'm going to take note of that. And you just trust the evidence. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, just trust wherever it takes you. That's all, you know, to me, that mm-hmm. would be the, the safest way. Um, but I'm really bad. But so far, I've been correct. But I'm really bad, like, <laughs> oh, Murdoch or Murdoch or Fathead, whatever his name is. He did it. Um, right. There was another one. Oh, the uh, Gabby Petito. I'm like, he's committed suicide, you know. And I, and I think maybe what could happen is either inexperience or, mm-hmm. you know, when you study even true crime you're not being professionally trained Mm -mm. you start seeing patterns you start seeing certain things are pretty much common in cases and so i could see where you you'd be like he did it Uh and also he made didn't if it's in your mind a little bit too your mind can make the evidence fit how a hundred percent so even if they he kept you know kept it in the back of his mind that that's who did it you can make your mind. Yeah. You yeah. can do that on anything. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Your mind's powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, the brain. and that's why I was about to say the brain, because, you know, it's kind of like if you decide to buy a certain car, all of a sudden you see it everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the brain will always focus in on where your attention is. Mm-hmm. And so that's why to me, it's like, okay, definitely note that, but you got to get your brain off of that mm-hmm. for right now and just let the evidence lead you to the conclusion. Because if you're not careful, like you said, every piece of ev- evidence yeah. will support your mm-hmm. supposition. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's still weird, though. I'd still be looking at the kid like, I do that. Hire today. someone. I'll think one way. <laughs> and I make my mind, or it just does it automatically. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's guilty or he's. Mm-hmm. stealing or you know well yeah. in all fairness on the murdoch case i was not sure at first i was suspicious um just because maggie was killed like if it was the families trying to get back at losing their daughter to me they would have just gone after the boy i know so right? maggie being killed was suspicious and then the whole hollywood setting where he almost gets shot in the head or he you know and i'm like okay that's you did it i had susan <laughs> she did not watch true crime too much she watches like red box and stuff mm-hmm. and um she watched the murdoch special and she goes boy what uh stevie wonder could see that coming <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> yeah because it was sort of obvious yeah 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 she was... says that all the time Okay, um, now, 
Lori and her brother knew something was up, obviously, because her, their parents are getting a little bit frantic. You know, phone calls are being made. You know, where's Carrie at? They weren't scared until they saw their parents' terror. Yeah. And then they knew, okay, something really bad has happened. Lori said uh, something happening to her just didn't seem possible where we lived. Sure. And I mean, again, you know, like they had to call in the state police to investigate because right. they had such a small police mm-hmm. force. And that, you know, that saying, it it's a myth. It is a myth when people think, you know, that doesn't happen here. It is a hundred percent a myth. We've we've had I just listened to a case by True Crime Garage guys. Uh, shout out to them if you ever listen to our podcast. Love <laughs> yeah. you guys. Been listening to you for like two years, and I have not listened to any other podcast because <laughs> I'm going to get through every single episode. But I was listening to Spooky Town on the way up here, or Spookyville, and it's a, a town that has 51 people, and they had um, potential serial killers living there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, were they raised there, or did they move there? It's a good hiding place. That's a good place. question. I don't know. For a serial killer. Chelsea uh, Rainstorm. No, not Rainstorm. Chelsea Rain River, I think was her name. Um, I'm, I'm going to look it up. But yeah, she got killed and someone found a picture of her in a cage. And they knew who it belonged oh. to. And oh. Yeah. But it's like. 51 people so you got two of your citizens arrested so your population is now 49 <laughs> right, right? right. <laughs> well it'd be 48 with her gone yeah mm-hmm. um but it just it, that it's a myth it can happen anywhere and then another thing that me and my dad we'd always get so aggravated because you know people would say they just seem like the nicest person right what is that? What's dishwasher. happening? Dishwasher so the dishwasher was running. I was hoping you wouldn't no, say anything. No, it was anything. the ice machine at first. The ice machine was the loud one. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and they'd be like, they were such a nice neighbor. I would have never, you know. And dad would be like, well, they're not, they don't look like monsters. No. They're not walking around looking like monsters, you know. And uh, so anyway, <clears throat> they uh, obviously state police get involved. Um, everyone started looking for Carrie. The streets were lined up with volunteers and, uh, uh, helicopters. They were scanning the area, you know, 50 mile radius, trying to see if they found her searches were done along the riverbanks. Roadblocks were set up, uh, the local air force base and then volunteers from local fire departments all helped in the search. Well, for a small town, they really stepped up. They did. Didn't they? Because they were a family-oriented community. They right, were close. Right. And um, they couldn't find her. So the first officer on the scene, he went to the grocery store where Carrie... Excuse me. I just had a little bit of a belching episode in <laughs> yeah, the of our podcast. If they it's that Texas tea. It's a Texas I think tea. so. Texas water. Goodness. Is yes, what did with it. Texas water. <laughs> um, so he went to the grocery store, and the store owner said she did come in. She had... Uh, the receipt for milk, Coke, and chips. It was like three bucks. Can y'all believe oh in today's right. inflation, 2023? Right. Uh, her dad had given her $20 for the snacks. She arrived at the store around 930, which would fit when she left and got there. The receipt was time stamped. So the detectives knew that she left the store at 9.55 p.m. So she was there for about 25 minutes. Wow. So she visited. You know. I think she did visit a little bit with the store clerk, but she might have been wanting, you know, looking to see if she maybe wanted some stuff because he didn't say milk. And so she got the milk and, of course, the Coke and the chips. 
and no one else was there, like kind of talking to her, being with her or anything? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And back then, I don't think a lot of places had the cameras. Yeah, I don't know if they would have had cameras. You know, back then, I don't know. I just meant like the clerk, if oh yeah, the clerk. why she was there so long. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, being a teenager, no telling. I mean, I tell Kent to go clean his room, and an hour later, True. I go in there. I'm like, "What have you been doing?" <laughs> right, <laughs> nothing was done. You know, he's playing guitar with a right. You know, a, a broom handle or something. Or, yeah. yeah, right. Uh, she, and but the store clerk did notice that she went the familiar route down Palmer Street, so she was definitely headed back home because it looks like it was pretty much a straight shot. Uh, So she definitely was not going elsewhere. She went down the way that she would have. Then a detective Sypik arrived. He was a main investigator, it sounds like. And then less than 24 hours after Carrie disappeared, Justin Archer showed up at the police station and told them that he was visiting a friend that lived between the store and Carrie's house and that he saw her that night. At first, he said they didn't say anything to each other. Uh, but then later, he said they exchanged greetings. Okay, so now here's the second person. It's like, which is it? Did you say something or did you not say something? You know, like, I, I'm immediately suspicious. You tell me one thing and then you tell me another. And sure enough, the detectives were suspicious of Justin. Uh, and it's like, okay, which is it? And he also was the local bad boy. And he had had several run-ins with the police um, odd that he'd bring attention to himself. Exactly. But they do like, some criminals, they do like to be in the middle of the investigation. That made them suspicious as mm-hmm. well. So he's got a record. He's got a reputation. Um, he says they didn't talk, and then they did. Uh, and then he's the last person who saw her. So that instantly makes him a person of interest. Mm-hmm. And also... What they felt, and this kind of goes with our local case miniseries theme, is um, they knew that whoever took her had to be local. They didn't think it was a stranger. Um, Just because a sable is off the beaten path. It's not like a community you're just going to go through when you're traveling or anything. Like, like you have to literally get off main thoroughways to get to this place. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then it gets a little bit more confusing because one report said that she had exchanged greetings with a neighbor at about 10.05 p.m. And then by 10.10, a group of boys walked by and they saw no one on the street. So between 10.05, the neighbor saying that, you know, they saw her and and talked. She must have been close to the house. So five minutes, she disappeared. Mm. Hmm. And she was within 700 feet from her home. Oh, oh my. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're wondering, oh, and I was wondering, like, well, was the neighbor Justin? Was he the one that said, you know, I saw her and blah, blah. Um, was it the group of boys that said they saw her? It just seems like there's a lot of people around, which actually, due to the cold, most people were inside that night. One of the things that was big with this community, and I don't know if it still is, but people would sit on their porches right. on summer nights. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying. Like, these people are up late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they just, you know, that reminds me when I went to get my tattoo. He said, can you come back in a couple hours? And it's 6.30, I'm all, sure. <laughs> Almost my bedtime, but yeah, I'll be there. I did my tat. <laughs> so she literally disappeared within thin air, Within five minutes, 700 feet from her home. 
Oh, so close to her home and safety. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even want to think about what she was thinking. That's it's sad. just really sad. Okay. Uh, so investigator Sipic, he got a tip of a local flasher, you know, because every small community needs to have mm-hmm. one of those. Mm-hmm. A peeping yeah. Tom, flasher, whatever, you I'll know. get it, yeah. And he loved harassing women. His name was Ted Pryor. He was 44 years old, and he lived a few blocks from the store. Oh. So, you know, they got Justin they're kind of looking at. They're also looking at this guy. They haul him to the station for questioning. He claimed he was uh, at home watching TV with his mom. Now, cops don't buy this whole I was with my mom or my right, dad right. business, which can also be frustrating because I'll never forget one guy that was eventually released, but he was literally watching TV with his family. And it wasn't just his parents. Everybody's like, he was there and they wouldn't listen mm-hmm. to them. You know, so I can see both sides. Right. But it's like, if you've got like cousins and parents and grandparents and friends, and it's like this family gathering, and they're all telling you he was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. Right. That's happened before, too. I know. And I Playing get that. Playing basketball with friends. Yeah. With family. Yeah. So you think it's that they don't believe all the other people? They, It's not a true well, alibi? I think that they think that family will hide and lie for their loved ones. And I I agree. I think well, yeah, they will. Look at, well, oh. Yeah. Yeah. What's Go her, ahead. Um, what's her name? Gabby. Gabby. Mm-hmm. The mother yeah. lied. Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started. That's terrible. Poop but birds. you know what? I know a detective, and he says that sometimes they get sort of hardened. Oh, you know, yeah. and cynical. Mm-hmm. And I can you know, see that. You see I the worst don't believe anything. anything. Yeah, and don't believe anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I just think in some cases, it's like, okay, you probably need to rethink this person as a suspect, mm-hmm. maybe, and look outside that box mm-hmm. because that's just, and it was amazing the amount of people that they're, you know, they're like, no, he was really there. And I can't imagine how frustrating it was. They knew he was there, he gets convicted. And they're like, there's nothing we could do. Like, to me, that would be the most helpless feeling ever. But um, she did verify his alibi, but they kept an eye on him, you know, anyway, because they they just weren't sure. Because they knew, you know, a lot of times killers will start out as flashers or or peeping toms. That's what peeping toms um, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy Mm -hmm. did. And uh, a lot of them, BTK. So Sypik, he also couldn't dismiss the idea that she ran away. And she had written to several friends that she wanted to live in Hawaii, Florida, or California one day. Uh, she also wanted to move when she was 18, but she was also very close to the family. Like, he could tell they were close-knit. They, there didn't seem to be any problems. The marriage was solid. She was happy in her relationship with her parents. It was very stable. So they didn't suspect the parents at all? They didn't. And... Also, they realized, you know, wanting to move one day to Hawaii or Florida or California, that was an Very 80s normal. kid, teenager yeah. dream, you know. And uh, so they they pretty much, you know, dismissed that she had ran away. But there were some rumors going around that she was pregnant and that she got scared and ran away, but it was mm. not true. So now you've got the rumor mill. Now you've got all the gossips out. And, you know, she was 18. She was a teenager that was planning her future. 16. 16. I mean, 16. Yeah. And, you know, she was excited at, at the possibility. So they knew. Right. 
They knew. But once the rumors are out like that, some people. Especially a them. small town. And the parents said that was the most hurtful thing. Yeah. You know, Just they, like being accused of molesting. Or, yeah. I mean, even if you're innocent, people still think you are. Yeah, like I the mean, poop bird that yeah. murdered her three-year-old mm-hmm. and blamed her dad for molesting her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Casey Anthony. I won't do that case. People have asked if we'll do it. I'm like, no, I, I have no interview. interest. Mm-hmm. I'll just get mad. Yeah. I, I started, you would. I started the interview that she gave, and uh, I couldn't even watch it. Yeah. Everything out of her mouth was just And I bull. actually don't believe that she intended to kill her. I don't either, but I she did. I think she wanted her to go to sleep and shut up so yeah. she could party. Yeah, but yeah. all these years, yeah. she needed money, and they paid her yeah. pretty good for that interview, mm-hmm. blaming her father. She's just a piece of crap. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The family held out home or held out hope that Carrie would come home, and they bought her Christmas presents every year Aww. and um, birthday gifts. Det- Detective Sypik, he was concerned uh, because the tips dried up. Completely. And he encouraged the family to air Carrie's story and on Unsolved Mysteries. And they did. And I remember watching that episode. I don't remember watching it. Yeah, I watched it every single week. That was like the highlight. And I, you know, I think it came on on, on Friday nights. I watched it too. I just don't remember the cases. And then they had tips that flooded in as far away as the South uh, Pacific and... Clovis, uh, where my grandparents live. So New Mexico. Yeah. And that's why we're going to have some New Mexico, uh, chili, uh, hot cocoa. Yes. Cocoa. Cocoa. Uh, so all of those kept detective Sypik busy for, uh, six months because, you know, had so many leads. One came from an anonymous writer in Flint, Michigan. Actually, several came from Flint, Michigan saying that Carrie had been spotted in Utahville, South Carolina, and to look for her there, which is weird. So it, the tip's coming from Michigan telling them to go to South Carolina to look mm-hmm. for her. They blanketed the town with flyers, and they were shocked when a local resident, Shirley uh, Canapel, told police, who were equally shocked, that she remembered speaking to a shy 16-year-old who said her name was Carrie. She said that three weeks earlier, she had seen a girl with the same hair and earrings. Several other townspeople said they saw Carrie as well. Uh, Shirley remembered many details. Uh, police asked that uh, she be hypnotized so that they could mm-hmm. you know, go deeper and see if they could find out anything. Um, she said it was a hot day when a little red-headed girl came up and asked Shirley to meet her new friend. The girl told Shirley that her name was Carrie and she was from New York. Shirley said that she asked her if she was down here to stay and the girl said that she was. Shirley described the girl as having long brown hair, said she was staying across the lake, and then Shirley said that she said Carrie Lynn Nixon, and that's a pretty name, as she walked away from the the group. Shirley uh, said that she had been working for four and a half years with Runaways, and she was able to pick up on some things. Oh, okay. And like the way Carrie evaded questions, like she didn't give any, you know, details or anything like that. But police could not find the girl who allegedly brought this Carrie to this Shirley girl. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. They did find her, and she suffered a memory lapse. How convenient. Well, how would she introduce her to, was it Shirley? Mm Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Maybe wanted her to... Oh, help. Catch or help. Maybe. But this, again, is why <coughs> I think it would be 
like hard to be a detective because it's like, okay, we've got several people that have seen Carrie, you know, so we're going to find her. We're going to bring her home. And nothing ever came of it. Nothing. They never were able to find Carrie. Uh, The redhead had a memory problem and couldn't remember the incident at all, which I I don't think it ever happened. I'm really suspicious of Shirley, actually. I Um, wonder if that kid, what's his name? The hoodlum was um, in that area Justin, at that Justin. time. Uh, nope. Yeah, Another tip mm-hmm. uh, raised Karen's parents' hopes because they saw her with their own eyes. Mm. A neighbor saw what looked like Carrie on a new kids on the block video. They, uh, they called Carrie's parents who also went and watched the video and they thought it was her. And uh, so Jonathan Knight and other band members created a video encouraging the person in their band video to come forward and gave a message to Carrie. Okay, so let me um, show you. This is the the picture. And there's actually oh a semblance. Gosh. Right. And I'll have this on our uh, website, outlineofamurderpodcast.com. But it looked, I mean, even the parents were like, that is her. Um. Yeah, and so they're excited because it's like, okay, she might be in California. Maybe she did run away, and she's in California. She's at on this music video at a concert, and um, you know they're like, okay, she's going to be able to come home. Okay, so here is a section. I'm hoping it has Jonathan and I on here, but hang on one second. Here, when they saw a videotape of a concert given by the popular singing group New Kids on the Block. On June 5th, 1989, the group filmed their Hangin' Tough live concert in Los Angeles, California. Among the crowd of teenage fans, Kathy and Gary Nixon saw a familiar face. You couldn't believe how much this girl looked like our daughter. So we just kept rewinding it. And going over and over and over, and you just couldn't believe it because we never really had any hope that she was alive. And then this, there's this girl that looks so much like her. I'm not 100% convinced, but it looks like our Carrie. Upon uh, viewing the tape, I picked the girl out immediately the first time it ran through. It was obvious to me uh, that this girl did look like Carrie Nixon and appeared to be her. This detail-enhanced photograph was made from the videotape and compared with a picture of Carrie taken shortly before she disappeared. There's obviously many similarities. The hair length, the hair color, the shape of the face, the chin, the mouth, and it displayed a multiple of earrings in the right ear, in which Carrie Nixon has four earrings in her right ear and two in her left. So the uh, photo-enhanced finished product further convinced the Nixons that this could be their daughter. Members of the new kids on the block did not recognize the girl in the crowd, but after hearing Carrie's story, wanted to make a personal appeal. Well, I'd just like to say to Carrie that if you're out there, the best thing to do would just be to call somebody and, you know, even if you go to your local police and just... Just tell them your situation and maybe they can help you out. Or if any of you viewers out there who have seen her at a new kid show or just seen her on the street, if you could contact someone, 
you know, to, to let them know where she is, or if she's all right or anything, that would be a big help. Don't you know, they look so young? Yeah. They do. And trying to talk, you know. Yeah, and, like an adult. Yeah. Don't, I have a problem with it, though. Mm -hmm. If she was close to her family, mm -hmm. she went to get chips, didn't bring them home, because that was her intention. She's a good girl. Why would she be all over without contacting him, knowing they're worried? I agree. So but I, why I would she buy the stuff? Yeah. Oh, good question. Yeah, mm -hmm. like if she had the intention of running away. Yeah, $20, bucks, one, man. $20. Yeah. yeah. She, and that's what the d detective thought, too. It's like, well, why mm -hmm. would she buy the groceries? Yeah. We know she did that. Why wouldn't she pocket the $20? Because that would help her get away right. or go far farther. It just didn't fit. But I'm sure y'all can see, though, why. The girl why. looks like her, but. It's like her doppelinger. I mean, absolutely. it's like her twin. A lot of people have someone that looks yeah. just like you. Not me. I'm a, an original. <clears throat> Apparently, I have multiple. Me, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I don't buy that she was in that concert or well, traveling everywhere um, without letting them know. Somebody know. And here's a little tidbit, because they did two uh, Unsolved Mysteries when they had her, but the girl that is walking down the street um let's see yeah the the girl that's walking down the street is actually lori oh, in really? unsolved mysteries yeah oh yeah she played her sister mm -hmm. and you know another thing too um because i thought it looked a lot like her mm -hmm. Yeah. Why, if this was on the mystery, somebody, if somebody, if somebody you know would recognize the other girl, the girl would come forward. Did anyone come forward and say they knew who that girl was? Mm -hmm. Or oh, they did? The, the, at the concerts. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, the girl um, from the video came forward. It was not Carrie. Mm -hmm. It was a young girl from Washington, D.C. Other reports um, said that uh, she's from California, so I'm not sure. But either way, the girl did come forward. It was not Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually Carrie's parents knew that she was never coming home. At some point, Gary broke down sobbing and, and said, I can't fix this. And he felt that he had failed his family. Right. The, um, final lead that stood out to Sipic was from Seth Matters in a new year, a new nearby village. He approached the detective about a memorial of or a shrine at a tree near his property and he said it was being maintained by somebody that knew lilies were placed there regularly and the detective's like okay well could that be where carrie's buried and maybe the killer is you know oh, going back and visiting right. her grave and all of that stuff so they brought out they, they went there and they brought out what's called a sniffer now i've never heard of it it's a device that you put in the ground, and it sniffs for decaying matter. Hmm. Yeah. I've never heard of that. When was this? Especially back then. In the early 90s at this point. Wow. Oh. Or maybe the late 80s, because um, wow. she disappeared in 87. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't detect anything, but I was like, what? I've never heard I of that. I never have either. So what they did is they put up sensors around the, the area so that it would alert them the next time the individual came to drop off the the flowers so after you know several false alarms which i'm thinking deer bear you know because you're in that mm -hmm. um type of the country um finally 
It hit on the person who was leaving the flowers, but when they got there, he was gone. So uh, Seth saw the car, wrote down the license plate number, called the police. Good for him. And so the driver was a man named Barrett Michaels, and he had bought the property to build a vacation home for himself, his wife, and his daughter, but his daughter had died of cancer. So Barrett would just go there and put the flowers because he couldn't. Lilies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he couldn't um, build the property, the house anymore. So years went by. Nothing. Absolutely nothing on the case. It was ice cold. And then in January 28th, 1994, Detective Sipik received a phone call from a lawyer saying that he was representing an individual that had some information on Carrie's case. The man's name was Robert Jones, a bank robber that Sipik had arrested along with his wife. The wife was a getaway driver at the last heist with their two kids in the car. Oh, Dirtbags. Okay, so here is good old Robert. Oh, the he 80s like hair, a, the 80s normal. sweater. Just a, yeah. yeah. Like, a normal like you wouldn't expect him. Like guy, yeah. when mm-hmm. I show y'all the picture of the Phantom Killer, you're going to be shocked how nice he looks. Okay. It's amazing. Okay, Robert, he didn't just have any information. He actually confessed to murdering Carrie. Why? But he, well, he wanted something in exchange. He wanted his wife to get probation. In other words, he didn't want her to spend any time in jail. So he was willing to confess to Carrie's crime. For the bank robber, the getaway Mm -hmm. part. Okay. Because he wanted his kids taken care of. Well, good for you. You poop bird. Right. You took away another dad's kids, but let's make sure yours are taken care of. Mm-hmm. I mean, that right. just, and I'm glad the kids are taken care of, I guess, by a poop bird mother that drives the getaway yeah, car. A mother like that. But it's like, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're so thoughtful. That See, that stuff bothers me mm-hmm. when I hear that. I'm like, Ugh, as you can tell. But they have to do it sometimes. I even was if about you don't to like say. Yeah. So, Robert Jones um, uh, told them you know, hey, I, I did it. I know where she is. They're like, okay, before we talk any deals, we want proof. We're not going to just say, yeah, absolutely. We want proof. Uh, they wanted her body. So he led them through 1.5 to 2 feet of snow right to where her shallow grave was. So this is six years later, and he knows exactly where it is. Um, he showed where her head was, where her feet were. They found her clothing, shoes, and the groceries that she had purchased that night. Wow. She was buried just a few miles from her home on Robert's family property. He was a local, just like police thought. And her parents um, figured uh, that, well, by the way, Kathy and Gary, they knew him, and they knew the family. Um, Detective Sipic told the Nixons that they had found her, and all of them cried, including Sipic. Um, mother, the mother said it was like losing her all over again. Robert, uh, saw Carrie leave the store after he bought some beer at a store nearby. He followed her. He ambushed her. He forced her into his vehicle with a gun. He then walked back to the other side of the car. So she's in the vehicle and could get out. But she was so terrified that she couldn't move. Yeah. And, um, he got in the other side and he drove off and she was too afraid to make a run for it. Uh, he took her to his parents' remote cabin in Jay, New York. It's about six miles from Osable, 
drove past her home and uh, raped her. How much torture is that? Raped her for several hours. He then promised to take her home, but she realized they weren't going home. So he, um, she begged him to let her go. He tried strangling her, but she wouldn't die. So he we shot her in the that. chest. Yeah, we hear that. And especially mm-hmm. with first-time killers. Yeah. They, it's not that easy mm-hmm. to kill somebody. No. And uh, so he said that he abducted her and killed her because he was upset that his wife was cheating on him. But that had never been proven. Oh, brother. He's an evil person. He had committed four bank robberies, two in Maine, where he lived at the time that he abducted Carrie, which makes it worse because he just happened to be home uh, visiting family when he spotted her. I wonder, does it, did he kill anybody else? Mm-mm. That's the only person? Yeah. So two in Maine, two in New York, bank robberies, kills her. He did, uh, though, during one heist, because I was curious, too, like if he, maybe he had tried something in the past. He did try to kidnap a female that was outside one of the banks when he was fleeing. And um, Did he say why he did it? Yeah, because he intended to rape and kill her. That's what he told his accomplice. He later settled down in Osable. So after he kills her, he settles down in the community, and he lived 200 yards from where her body was. Detective Sypik told the Nixons that they found her, you know, and again, they were all very upset about it. I don't know why I have that paragraph in my notes twice, but there you go. Groundhog Day. Uh, He was sentenced to life with parole. His eligibility to be paroled was August uh, of 2015. As far as I can tell, he has been denied parole. So he filed an appeal in March of 2018 saying that he had, quote, ineffective assistance of counsel. (laughs) The state said that he was the one that approached the detectives, you idiot. You know what I mean? It's like, you're the one that told the detectives so your poop bird wife can take care of your kids, and then you're like, I wasn't, you know, represented well. I wonder if the wife knew. I don't know. Well, that's what I was thinking. 200 yards, you have a wife and children. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, and most killers like him, they want, they like being reminded. But I mean, they're going to see her, you would think, or see areas. She, she was buried. And by but the time they, yeah, but by the time they moved there, I mean, I think it was risky. I think that if the kids ever went digging around or yeah. a dog or something, dog. it was all yeah. going to come up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a definite risky move. I think that maybe the fact that he was living on his family's property made it Gave worth the risk. Comfort, yeah. Or maybe he was just stupid. I mean, he sounds pretty ah, stupid. Or it could be he liked, like, it was more important for him to be near his victim. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. Do you believe this was his only victim? Because he kept it, kept her close to him? Which is unusual for a supposed one-time rage killer. Well, so with serial killers, I, which I think he was one in the making. Yeah. Um, but then stop. He, well, yeah. I mean, it had been six years. Um, but look at the uh, um, B, uh, BTK. But BTK. he killed for a while, though, um, he before stopped. he stopped. Mm. Uh Mm. Maybe it was distasteful, but what I have heard about, uh, especially serial killers, their their first kill is very special to them, <clears throat> and even uh, 
Ted uh, Bundy. Bundy wouldn't say who his first was, which we yeah. think was that little girl. Right. Um, so I don't know. Again, it could be that he was able to live there because it was fa- his family property and maybe he didn't have to pay rent or maybe there was some type of deal and it was just convenient. And the fact that she was there was no big deal to him. Mm. You know, it could that be makes that. more sense. Yeah. yeah. Cause, but the thing with the rage though, every serial killer has rage. Mm-hmm. They just like the torture. No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of a separate type of killer, mm-hmm. like just a, um, uh, just in the moment, rageful. You see someone, mm-hmm. you're going to take it out on terrible things. Mm-hmm. The chopping mm-hmm. up, the dismemberment. But the fact that he tried to kidnap a female before tells me he was going to kill eventually. And so I think that eventually. she was an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he was mad. He had been drinking, which that's another pattern. They seem mm-hmm. to either be intoxicated or under the influence of drugs because mm-hmm. it loosens inhibitions. Right. Yeah, it does more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrible. Um, so uh, he does his appeal. The state said that, you know, obviously he's the one that approached detectives about the murder, describing with excruciating detail all he did to her. So he liked it. I, I, that's why I he think was he was proud. a serial killer in the making, because yeah. he liked it. He waived his right to remain silent. <laughs> he also said he wasn't coerced, and neither were his family or his wife threatened if he didn't confess. So it, here he is in prison after 20 years when he thought he'd be paroled and wasn't. So he was trying to use the courts to get out, and it didn't work. Good. The Good. reason he's not been con- uh, paroled is because he has failed to complete sex offender therapy 20 years yep he's refused to do that the serious nature of the the crime obviously is a factor but also different differing scores on the compass risk and needs assessment so i was like okay what the heck is that yeah it has 74 questions that measures how much the offender needs to commit a crime again and the risk of them ending up back in prison. Interesting. Never heard of that. Uh-huh. No. So and he was obviously showing up as a threat. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what how many questions he I don't know. And right. then he won't discuss his criminal score. history. He won't he won't say if there's more. He won't I personally believe it was his first kill, but he won't say about any of his other criminal history. So he's being very closed off. He's not right. cooperating and he's obviously gonna do it again. His wife did divorce him. Uh, funeral services were held for Carrie February 1st, 1994 at Holy Name Catholic Church in Osable Forks, New York. She is survived by all her family but uh, John. So her brother died of um, a myotropic lateral sclerosis, ALS, uh, known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm-hmm. John and his wife had a daughter before his death, and they named her Carrie Lynn. Oh, I gotta say, I... I um very sweet they named her that the guilt that the father and the mm-hmm. sister must feel yep that would be chips, yeah probably. that yeah i don't know how you could get over that i don't either and in no amount of words you know it's like uh-uh. you mm-hmm. have no part to play in this you know it's you lived in a small town you wanted, you know, how many times did you send Carrie to get you stuff? And yeah. Lori, I mean, yeah. it just, it wasn't, there was nothing for him to feel guilty about. But I do think that if I was in that situation, I would feel guilty. Absolutely. Well, and also you don't know of the media or friends 
that might have said something, you know? I don't know. I mean, the rumors that she was pregnant and stuff got started. That could have been just teenagers, I'm at, you know? I mean, about the father. Randy I know, but what I was going to say uh-huh. is that it sounds like the community was on their side. Like, oh, it good. doesn't sound, from what I could find out, that they were Blame doing that to or, them. Yeah, yeah. But you always have those mean ones, too, you though. Do. What I was thinking, Mom, we had this discussion just last week. Like, whenever something happens to a child... Um, suicide, especially Mm -hmm. suicide, um, especially as a mother, like I would think that you would always have that. Mm -hmm. Could I have done something different? Should I have done something different? Her son committed suicide, um, a year ago next week. And, uh, I've been coaching her and she, she's a Christian Sure, and she's like, I had to learn mm. through a lot of work that that was his responsibility. Nice. It wasn't mine. That's mature. You know, and she gives herself grace Good. and she has days where she can't get out of bed. Sure. Um, or a few hours. That's and so, good. That's good When work. someone dies, though, it's sort of natural. Because I was telling her when mom died, you know, people, when they have parents die or something, they're like, well, well I should have visited her more. I should have done this, should have called more. I think every any kind of death that you have some kind of guilt. I think there's bit. a few things. And, you know, like the brain is trying to um, come up with solutions mm-hmm. so that you never feel that pain again. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, well, if I would have done this more, mm-hmm. if I would have done that, or if I would have brought them home or whatever right. it is. But you're, you have to recognize your brain mm-hmm. is just trying to make sure you never go through anything like mm-hmm. that again. And I think it's important not to get like it, you know, cause obviously we're not psychologists or psychiatrists, but it's important to not ignore those moments Yep. Like, um, because emotions buried never die. And like I was telling, I think, I don't know if I told you, but I was telling you how, you know, I sat down at the computer, I'm working on Dragon Man yeah, stuff, yeah. and my heart rate goes to the roof. And it's like, okay, I had to pause and say, okay, why is my heart rate going through the roof? Why am I anxious? What's going on here? And then I, you know, I sat there for a few minutes. I'm praying like, okay, father, what is this? And I was like, oh, that was the week he got sick. And I think that he was putting off going to the doctor because he knew I was busy with Dragon Mane and didn't want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. Now, I could feel guilty about that, except we had been trying to get him to go to the doctor for about two to three years. And he was a Marine and he was stubborn. Yeah. But all that to say, I had to pause. I've learned not to ignore right? Mm -hmm. When things like that happen. Um, I was surprised the response I had with my tattoo. In fact, I'm like, it makes me happy, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know? I get that. So it's like, man, I keep getting reminded of them. Because it's happy, but it is a sad occasion. Yeah. Yeah. I can Um, see that. And it's a reminder (laughs) <laughs> it's I mean, now like, permanently uh, it's on, on my your wrist. wrist so no, and I'm going to love it. But what I've been eventually. doing is I'm like, okay, this, it's all right. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you cannot avoid that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. When I get home, I'm going to go through all his pictures and all his letters. And I'm mm-hmm. just going to take my time. 
and enjoy that. But recognize when you go through something like that, don't be hard on yourself. You know, don't don't think you should be over it by now. Don't let people no, tell no, you no. that. Nope. You know, um, I think me. that you can get in depression if you're not careful. Sure. But have those people you can talk to. Um, I hate when and people work through it. Say, in time, in time, because mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. told you both, mom's been gone twenty years this year. I, I hadn't think, even gone through her stuff. I I well I. I, that would hang over me. I wouldn't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it gets better, but it never completely goes Not, away yeah, and it catches I you agree. by surprise. So there's no telling what he felt the rest of his life. I think as a dad and where he said, I can't fix this, mm-hmm. that must have been the most mm-hmm. helpless feeling ever. Sure. And so I hope that their life was good and because I think they're deceased by now. And... Um, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, it's, it's a terrible case, but that's why we did it. It was, you know, mm-hmm. found in dad's mm-hmm. stuff and, um, hopefully, you know, it's getting a little, um, you know, philosophical on death and stuff doesn't bother our true crime audience. But I think that if we're people that like to educate and like to help mm-hmm. people, I think those are really good things and no one can prescribe how you grieve mm-hmm. and to give yourself grace and do what you need to do. But I can also say, be careful of avoiding right. because it will come out eventually yep. and, it, and it'll come and out at very inopportune way. times. That's yep. why I'm like, feel those emotions. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yep. All right. Very good. So uh-huh. now I'm just saying, I'm before, on it. I know mine. I know it. All you right. Know why? Because someone said I'm that way. So that's why I remembered it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Be smart. Be rude. I'm shocked. <laughs> and don't Girl. be a victim. This is like the first time in, I don't know, three and a half years. Because someone said I was rude. You are. You are. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? Yeah.